we had a union, and I remember, like, I would get in trouble from the union for doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing <laughs> when the manager asked me. It's like, but my manager asked me, I'm just sitting on my butt. And this work needs to be done. <laughs> and it work needs to be done, so let's just do it. What's this joke about, that's not our job? <laughs> like, it's like I, didn't, I never want to get caught up in sort of the small stuff. Sure. And look at the big picture that if the work will benefit me in the long run, you know, why not? This is the O-Rise Feature Cast a special edition of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, for conversations with ORISE Research Program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the ORISE FeatureCast. In this episode, we talked to Desmond Stubbs, ORISE Director of Diversity Initiatives, who went from working as a hotel waiter to earning a doctoral degree in chemistry. Desmond shares how that experience drives his work to help students at historically black colleges and universities get connected to opportunities at national laboratories and federal research institutions across the country. Desmond Stubbs. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Welcome to the Further Together podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Desmond, you are the Director of Diversity and STEM Initiatives here at ORAU. Tell me a little bit about how you got to be here. (laughs) Okay. Well, my story started um, in 2005. Uh, I graduated uh, with my PhD in chemistry from Georgia Tech. Uh, I worked on research. At the time, remember 2005, we're in the middle of a war. Mm -hmm. Iraq and Afghanistan was sort of the height of the war at the time. So there was a high need for tools, um, analytical tools for sp- explosive detection. So we were running into those improvised explosive devices. Um, and um, at the time, the tool of choice were drug detection and bomb detection dogs. Okay. And in some instances, chickens, because of their immune systems were pretty low. He heard a canary in, in, in the coal in mine. The coal mine. Okay. Yeah, because of the immune system of those animals, they have a sort of sensitive detection system that okay. people use. But that's not a scientific process. <laughs> we probably want to talk to the dog about how, what are you detecting? Right. Is it a real thing, a real threat? And so I worked on developing a low vapor phase detection device. So it's a biosensor that detected um, not only um, explosives like TNT, which is part of sort of the mix of explosive materials in those IEDs, but also um, other types of explosives, um, you know, plastics as well. Um, I also worked on, you know, narcotics. Uh, So I had a cocaine generator in my lab. So I was the envy of the campus. Right. So there's chance wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So you were making cocaine? We had a cocaine generator from the Coast Guard. Okay. So it was nanograms. So, gotcha. so nobody put their nose up to the <laughs> nozzle. <laughs> At least nobody I knew of. Right. <laughs> because no I don't strong, think it would work. Yeah, it wasn't that strong. But I could tell you when I did my um, conference presentations, my room was packed. There were people coming in. And I was scared to death as a young student. I was like, why are these people here? They're like, dude, read the title. Right. <laughs> Detection yeah. of cocaine. They you want to know more about your <laughs> Okay, you're like, yeah, that was the scene. Everybody wanted to know, like, okay, tell me about this. <laughs> and so that was so interesting that it got the um, the attention um, of a number of journals. Okay. They actually featured it. 
and I was featured in Analytical Chemistry Journal, and it actually popped into Time Magazine. So yeah. Georgia Tech promoted it, and Time Magazine picked it up, and I ended up on the pages of Time Magazine, not on the front co uh, cover. That was Howard <laughs> Dean, <laughs> if you ever remember him, <laughs> before the scream. Right. Um, but I was also there with a scientist, Thomas Thundat, from ORNL. Okay. And so he sort of made the contact early on about wanting me to come there and continue that type of research. It was all about sensors okay. and how we we're going to approach sort of those conditions in in the war in the warfare in the war um, arena. And so um, I got a call from the Georgia Tech provost at the time saying, "Hey, the lab's working on something called the Oak Ridge Center for Advanced Studies, and I know that you've been doing all of this." Uh, policy type conversations about how these things should be implemented. You know, what's our true you know philosophy about how we uh, uh, use tools in 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 the war arena? Mm -hmm. um, what type of tools? You know, you know. So so it's a, it's a balance, right? Because you would have advocates for animals who say, "Why should we have dogs?" in the middle of that type of threat. Sure. That's a, you know, so it's a sort of that humane thing and, and the animal rights thing keeps coming up. So, so you always have these sort of these social pressures um, that develop. And I, I kind of started getting into talking to that, speaking to that, and saying, of course, it's a way of getting my research out, right. <laughs> and saying, hey, we need to be smarter about the tools we use. And so um, that, caught, that caught the attention, a lot of fanfare around it, and um, they, the lab offered me an interview to come and work for Orcus, which was a mixture of ORAU, ORNL, Battelle, and the eight core universities that, that support the, the research here. And we did a lot of social science things like polling, sort of something like your work, sort of polling the, the community, just the, the non-scientific community and mm -hmm. asking them, hey, um, what do you think about the research we're doing, like nano, at the time it's nano, right? right. <laughs> Dating myself. Nano with <laughs> nanomaterials. Yeah, right, what about, right, right. you know, sort of the, the commercialization of nanomaterials? You know, going into a store and buying slacks and shirts. How do you dispose it? What do you know about the material? Do you think the fibers would get in your skin pores? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you know about the science behind stuff? Then I started talking about the workforce, K through 12. We go upstream. What are we doing in K through 12? so that we have more success when kids get to college and get into STEM majors and they're not dropping out like flies in their sophomore year right. or losing scholarships, state scholarships. Now, every state now has a lottery-driven scholarship. Mm -hmm. And so they're losing them by sophomore year because they're taking real calculus and not high school calculus. And right. so how do we bring rigor back in K through 12? So those type of issues sort of around that support the research workforce and the research itself. And so that sort of got me here I took that job, I had other offers, but I really wanted to work on something that was purposeful, that was going to uh, not require ROI, <laughs> return on investment, sure. um, that was meaningful, and that was going to affect someone outside of the science community because, you know, a person like myself never even pictured myself being in the science community. So when I got in, I always felt sort of the need and the passion, and that's what's driving me in my work right now around diversity and uh, promoting STEM initiatives is to always pull more people in, and not just sort of with people we look at as diverse. Because I always say when I had a historical black college, HBCU, I always say that when I go there, I say, you guys are not diverse. <laughs> so they need to be pulling in diversity. Right. Because the real world is pretty tough, and it's very diverse. And you have to be conversant. You have to be able to navigate. 
And so, you know, instead of coming to a campus like Georgia Tech and feeling all those stressors and feeling all alone because you, I came from an HBCU, I didn't have any diversity. All of a sudden it was thrown at me and I didn't know what to do. It was a totally different culture. Yeah. And so it's so important that kids, not only the HBCUs, um, when we re-experience diversity at Oak Ridge um, Associate University and, and some of our partnering laboratories, but uh, HBCUs this experience diversity. So I, whenever I'm given a conversation, I talk to both of those as, as real issues around diversity. So my idea of diversity is not sort of one-sided as we have to go out and fish and bring in diversity. <laughs> You know, I'm telling them that they need us for diversity as right. well, right? Yeah. So that's a different pitch. So diversity. long story short, that's <laughs> that's sort of the thing that captured my interest. And this um, this platform is unique because I left and, and I worked for Woodrow Wilson Foundation where I was um, working on K-12 issues because I always felt like a pull that K-12 is where the high need mm -hmm. is. And, and I got into that, and K-12 is just so politicized <laughs> that I said, I know there's politics in, in, in post-grad um, and secondary, but I'd rather deal with that in the universities because it's, it's something that, you know, is more welcoming to fix sure. rather than dealing with school boards, right, <laughs> teachers' <right>. unions, <laughs> governance, and everything else. So I'm in the space where I think, like, I could be best use of my skills and bring in my scientific acumen, uh, bring in the vocabulary of the community and the need to sort of align not only the research priorities that everybody, everybody at the laboratory think is great and can change the world, but what is it doing for me? What is it doing for, for Joe and Jane Vall? Right. <laughs> you know, is, is their life changed by having these laboratories and, and having ORU in their this, state? Right. You know. Um. <laughs> Desmond, let me ask you, just I guess on a personal level, sure. you said you didn't expect to be in the science. You didn't see yourself right. being in the sciences. And we talk a lot about mentors and, you know, finding those people that light the spark in the K through 12 folks, in the, you know, young scientists. How did how did that happen for you? How <laughs> did you how did you end up seeing yourself, finding yourself um Becoming a chemist. Yeah. So, you know, so it's an interesting story. So I came to undergrad late. I actually worked for two years um, at the Hyde. I'm not doing a plug, but at Hyde Regency <laughs> Atlanta, I worked as a busboy, got promoted to waiter. And I've always had a good work acumen. I always believed in work. Um, you know, we had a union, and I remember, like, I would get in trouble from the union for doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing when the manager asked me. It's like, but my manager asked me, I'm just sitting on my butt. And this work needs to be done. <laughs> and it work needs to be done, so let's just do it. What's this joke about, dude? That's not our job. <laughs> like, it's like I, didn't, I never want to get caught up in sort of the small stuff. Sure. And look at the big picture that if the work will benefit me in the long run, you know, why not, right? And so... And so I started, you know, down that path, and I never saw myself as even going to college mm -hmm. um, until I started, to, you know, at the Hyatt, they had managing manager trainees. They would come in straight out of college or still be in a senior college, okay. and they'd be training. And one day I was reading the newspaper, and one of the trainees came in. He's like, she was like, why are you reading the newspaper? Like, what are you doing then? I was like, I always read the newspaper. What do you think I can't read? <laughs> and uh, she was like, no, I just didn't. They never pictured you reading the newspaper. And I was just like, 
I was like, I started to wonder, like, how are people seeing me? Right. Like, what do they see when they see me? Am I just that, that stereotype that's walking around with no ambition, um, you know, and, and no sort of intellectual curiosity? Mm-hmm. And so I started to really examine myself, and then this opportunity just popped, whether it's a divine intervention or, or you know, uh, just serendipity. Uh, I was at a dinner at Morris Brown College in Atlanta. My sister is a minister in the African Methodist Church, Morris Brown College of African Methodist school and so there was an international dinner and my sister was like free food you want to come <laughs> I was like sure, sure international food free food I am there so I went there and I'm eating and I'm having a great time they're doing their speeches and the church thing and I was like okay that's fine sitting at the table and then it ended and my sister has to do you know her pastoral thing and talk to everybody in the room before we leave shake every hand and um, I'm sitting there and a guy a gentleman came up to me he's like Young man, what are you doing? I was like, sitting down, waiting on my sister. He's like, can you help me? They had flags of every country, every nation that was represented on the walls. Like, can you help me take down these flags? I was like, man. I was like, well, you know, I got free food, so let me do that. So I started <laughs> taking down the flags, and then he started talking to me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, I work. He's like, you ever thought about going to college? Like, I'm not the college type. I literally said that. I'll never forget that. And he's like, what do you mean you're not the college type? I was like, I'm not a college boy. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, that, I don't, that's not my thing. And he's like, right. a brilliant, he said, they called me brilliant. And that's just like foreign to me. Like, brilliant? What brilliant? Say, a brilliant young man like you? He's like, Here, here's my card. He was a dean at the, at the college. He's like, here's my card. On Monday, this happened, uh, so the dinner was on Sunday. Monday morning, I want you in my office. You promised me that I'm going to talk to your sister. I want you in my office. And by Monday evening, I was enrolled in Morris Brown College. Really? Yes. And they asked me what major did I wanted to pursue. The only subject I liked in high school, because I liked the teacher, the teacher was actually the soccer coach, the baseball coach, you know, one of those teachers that was on the the side that I liked and cool. And so he was a chemistry major. He had a chemistry degree and he taught chemistry. So wherever he was going, the only textbook I read was chemistry. (laughs) The only thing I knew when I left was chemistry. And so um, I said chemistry and they were like, you just came off the street. Are you serious? I was like, yeah, I love it. You know, and um, like you said, it's it's that mentorship. It's it's that bond and relationship. It wasn't chemistry that drew me to chemistry. It, it was the teacher. It was the teacher and the relationship he had with chemistry right. and the relationship he had with me. So sort of that 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 third degree of relationships got me to chemistry because I had to be I had to like what he liked because he liked what I liked. Right. right. <laughs> you know. Does he know? Have you? Yeah, I've reached out. Okay. He lives in Canada now, and he I think he went on to get his PhD in chemistry, but I got my PhD before him, <laughs> and I, I teased him about it. But he right. there were so many of us that like. He's like, yeah, yeah. He just, he just right. took it. He was like, yeah, I know, I know. I was the coolest guy ever, and he was. He was the coolest teacher ever. And so, but two people that really helped me along was the dean, and he knew because I kept coming back, and I still go by and see him. That you know, he saw something in me, and he, I had, of course, I had the willing spirit to want to take that, you know, mysterious journey right. of going to college with all these people who I think were like, not like me, because I was way too cool for school. Right. <laughs> right. I was going to make my living as a, ho- as a hotel manager or rise through the ranks. And, you know, I had my plan, my path. And, but I, I, you know, having someone, first of all, approach me and, and sort of marginalize me without knowing me. And I just knew that 
I think I'm a little more intellectually curious than you are. Right. <laughs> you know, but you don't know that, and I have nothing to prove that. I have no credentials. And that's the thing that always bugged me. I, I need to be credentialed. So you go from, why are you reading the newspaper? Yes. To brilliant young man. <laughs> exactly. To someone who have, saw something. Right. someone saw something. Without me even being in a workspace. Right. Right. I mean, all you were doing was pulling flags off a wall. Right. I was pulling, I was listening to what he said to me. I was being respectful and pulling flags. So, so they call higher order skills. One is listening. <laughs> One is being responsive. And like, you know, people look like, well, let's look at GPA. No, let's look at some basic skills. And the GPA and all of that, I could predict what that GPA is. Right, right. <laughs> you know, because usually they're sort of complementary. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now you're the director of diversity in STEM education, mm -hmm. and you're working with HBCUs and, you know, looking for opportunities to bring that diversity to science. Right. Um, through our organization, through your work with um, the Thurgood Marshall um, Fund, mm -hmm. colleges, um, other organizations, mm -hmm. to bring that diversity, to make sure that more people who look like you <laughs> are, you know, in science. Right. Um, that's a huge <laughs> leap, honor. I'm not even sure what the <laughs> correct word is, yeah. but suddenly you're like in the driver's seat helping other people get what you got right um that has to be amazing it is and and it's 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 not easy on both sides because you would think that um both sides would want this to happen because it's stated and it's explicit in all the materials right but when the real work starts is when people start to shy away and that's where my real work begin is the sort of um really make it simple and easy by finding those things that are well aligned where people can come together around. Every HBCU will say, of course I want to be connected with Oak Ridge National Lab. Of course I want our young faculty members to see that their, their ambition goes outside the doors mm -hmm. of this small university. They could do whatever they want if, they, if they're a teacher at Spelman, if they're a faculty at Spelman College, which is a four-year liberal arts college for, for, for women, or Morehouse College, four-year liberal arts college for, man, for right. men in Atlanta, that if I'm recruiting a top um, PhD in physics, that he wants to continue his research, there is a capacity there that's beyond the walls of those small liberal arts college, but yet we can bring that talent and keep that talent on. So that's easy to say, and that's easy for, for the universities to promote, but the how, Mm -hmm. and who pays for it, right. <laughs> and how to articulate it to people who do pay for it as how does it align with your priorities, DOE or DOD, or any one of the federal agencies, or even outside of the federal agency, private industry, how does it align? So how do you get there is through good partnerships with trusted partners like a Thurgood Marshall College Fund. I, the first thing I came on board, I, I had sort of my three Ps, right? People, partnerships, and sometimes you say policy, right? right or whatever, right. strategy or whatever. And so, um, so the partnership part was the thing I thought we were lacking as, a, as an organization. I mean, we talk with our sponsors say, hey, um, why aren't we getting numbers of diversity? And we have to come up with an answer. And sometimes I think sometimes our sponsors just want a response so they can sort of respond to maybe a congressional committee or their bosses or whatever, right? And so I want us to be, and I just said this in a meeting prior to, to this conversation, I want us to be the best practitioners of what we do, mm -hmm. right? And I want us to bring science into what we do. 
I think sometimes our partners, like our lab, laboratory partners, they don't use science to do things like mentoring, outreach. <laughs> Those are so structured and rigid with no real thought of process and science thinking behind it. Most brilliant minds in the world in science right. don't use science to do, to do things like, yeah, the things that, 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 that's considered non-scientific. Right. To me, everything is scientific. And I want our processes to be as clinical as possible. So when I do collaboration, it sounds different. Like you hear me talk, mm -hmm. I talk about it different. When I talk about diversity, I talk about diversity different. It's, it's intentional in a way uh, because, you know, there's a strong culture around diversity and inclusion that makes you speak one certain way. Or is it, you know, talk about marginalized populations, talk about the need to fill the, fill the high need areas. That's one thing. And those things are true. And it, those elements are true. But my higher order of things is a better understanding of the organizations and their purpose, understanding where HBCUs came from. They're actually written into law. They're in the Higher Education Act. That was the act post the Civil Rights Act mm -hmm. that said that universities that were denying entrance to minority candidates were, you know, were now in, in legal jeopardy because of the Civil Rights and the Higher Education Act. And we want to recognize those universities that were open to minority candidates, like the historical black cause. So that's what Congress, they did that intentionally. They wrote it in. They didn't write a, a appropriation line into the right. law, but they wanted to recognize them as doing the right thing from the beginning without being told by law to do the right that thing. That they had to do it. So right. that's why they're so important. They're a legacy. It's a legacy name. It's a legacy um, school. The schools are legacy schools, but they're important to the country because they represent something different. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear you know, presidential candidates talk about HBCUs, they're triggering something to the community, right? They're saying, we understand that that was the path, that was the access to economic um, uh, sustainability for your communities. They employ people. They're usually in very poor, marginalized areas of the city. Um, and so they've been an economic engine in right. the community. So it's not just education, it's economics. It's the economy. About it. yeah, yeah. It's economy. Right. And so when you can bring together a Thurgood Marshall College Fund and an ORAU and hopefully an ORNL right. or an other federal institution, you're bringing all of the right people, we hope, together um, to rev that engine up yes. even more, right? Yes. To provide those opportunities and to... Right. So we're bringing in the experts, right? I'm not going to sit here because I went to an HBCU say I'm an expert in diversity because um, I'm black. Right. <laughs> I'm, an ex I'm an expert in male studies because I'm male. I'm an expert. You know, that, th those things don't make you an expert because some people just go through school. Right. And right. I've not really experienced that institution. Don't know anything about the history, although they're forced to do orientation. You know, some people are not that immersed in, even though they're sitting in that building every day. You ask them, where did my school, Morris Brown College, get its name from? It'll be a struggle. Right. Okay, so don't tell me you're an expert because you went to a school. I hear people shout down. People say, oh, I went to an HBCU. It means nothing to me. Right. Right. <laughs> it absolutely means nothing to me if you can't, you know, tell the history, the lineage, how it came to be. What are the bills that are sitting in Congress right now? If you're not a part of that sort of that, uh, that, that legislative process, 
So that's the thing that protects these schools and have them in, sort of in a different sphere. They're actually in the Small Business Act as well. So, okay. so uh, minority education, so it's not just HBCUs, so it's Hispanic-serving institutions, it's other minority-serving institutions are actually considered small businesses in the Small Business Act. And that's to help them develop the economy because they, they started from, you know, from behind. They weren't, they, were, they weren't getting federal funding like the larger land-grant schools, although they've been around the same time. They were sure. established in the 1890s, just like the other schools, like a University of Tennessee. They were all established. They're pretty old institutions. It's just they weren't funded. They weren't getting federal funding. So the government has, you know, and this has been bipartisan from day one. It's still bipartisan today. The government have been moving through legislation to help them sort of, you know, right the wrongs that were done. <clears throat> On a practical level, mm -hmm. if I'm a student at an HBCU, which would be a stretch for me, <laughs> um, obviously I don't have that experience. Um, how how does a partnership with RIU and Thurgood Marshall? Um, what can that do for me? How can that if I'm if I'm a STEM student in an HBCU? How does how does our partnership help me get? I guess to the next level, right? So I look at um, so I'm a I'm a I'm a department of one. <laughs> under, under my directorship, I have one report. That's me. <laughs> I report to myself. I look in the mirror and do it, <laughs> and um, it gives us capacity. So there are 47 public HBCUs that Thurgood Marshall has oversight over. You know, I can't reach out to all 47 Certainly. of them, but Thurgood Marshall is constantly talking to them. And they're responding because they're funding their students. Thurgood Marshall funds over 300,000 students. Wow. Yeah, and scholarship funding. So they're very responsive, right? Because that's Absolutely. the bottom line. Sure. So um, it gives me a better, a deeper uh, reach in to those institutions without me flying around visiting every campus. It, it helps us do our recruiting without a, a heavy expense budget. So it's really a community of scale for us. To reach that student, and what that student gets is the Thurgood Marshall, with, along with the opportunities we bring. Mm -hmm. So Thurgood Marshall is interested in us because they're interested in these federal opportunities. They do a lot of work on the private side, and but now they're, they're sort of wanting to sort of get into Move in into the doors it, right. of right of how to to help the federal government reach some of these schools because it's important that their dollars land uh, at these institutions because yeah. they're not getting a lot of research funding which comes from the federal government so now let's why don't we look at supporting the students themselves so that student would get the um, would get the benefit of a Thurgood Marshall and the opportunities they offer in terms of scholarship and keeping them in school, which is always important. They have to finish, so they need to fund. <laughs> I mean, that's, people forget that part. Like, yeah, these opportunities are there, but are you in school? <laughs> like, they have to be in school, enrolled, and they, they you know, and, and keep that stress level down of where you're going to find dollars to pay your tuition mm -hmm. and books. And then they have the opportunities to do the work that we sponsor or that we offer to them. So I think it's a good, it's a good marriage. Um, and, and thus far, we've had good success. We've actually had two, well, today is the second um, uh, meeting that we're, we're hosting uh, 14 HBCUs and HSIs at Oak Ridge National Lab, where we're going to talk about research collaboration. We're focused on faculty. We're focused on institutional relationship. And we believe if we build that, the students will come. You know, the laboratory goes out, it's like, send us your best students, we'll yeah. walk away and we'll wait for them to come. 
That's not happening because industry is on the campus every day. Absolutely. They're sponsoring uh, freshman seminar. They're sponsoring senior workshops. They're there every day on the school. So Google has a Google faculty member teaching freshman Python at Spelman and Morehouse right. and at Howard. Right. So they're taking the creme of the creme, the creme right, before we even get to them. They're gone. Right? So they're so they're the guy walking on campus already saying, you're the brilliant guy. Yes, there you go. We're going to bring that home. They're the ones saying, we have to come to you. We will live with you. Right. <laughs> and we will eat your food at your cafeteria. Right. And we will go to your, your uh, football games. And we will go to your step shows. And we'll right. see that band get off. And then <laughs> we're going to take you to Pasadena. Yeah, then we're going to take you out to Mountain View. Right. <laughs> and that's where you will stay right. and pay high rent. Right, right, right. <laughs> Way away from your family. <laughs> and so we so we have to be we have to build that institutional we can't as as a ORAU, as a ORNL, we can't do what they do. They they have unlimited sure, <laughs> funds. Have and legally you can't really have preferences right. in schools, right? And so we have to be different and creative. Building that institutional relationship, what the Google's never going to offer is, we'll bring your faculty in and uh, build them up and help them with their research. That's not happening at Google. Right. Google has a bottom line. Right. <laughs> you know, the bottom line that we have, the mandate we have, is related to the mandates that the country has, right? The, the high priority of the resources related to something that fixes like the, the real issues of the, mm -hmm. of the country. And so it's, it's more closer and it's more closely aligned with what the students and the faculty need to know on the campus. So we offer that sort of unique opportunity. And through that, we believe that the faculty, because the schools are so small and the relationships with students are so tight, the faculty will deliver, like what is happening right now, the faculty are bringing 22 students. If we, and these are the top students. If we were to offer those students, it was like, yeah, I'll go to IBM. Faculty. Oh, how much money are you bringing? Yeah, yeah. How much money are you sending? The faculty are bringing them. Because we said, we want the faculty, but can you bring some students? And they're bringing, yeah. So today is an exciting day. Today I is mean, a very exciting day. So you've got faculty and students from HBCUs going to Oak Ridge National Lab to see what they do, to see what the opportunities are that exist at the lab. <laughs> and the ability, I don't even know what to say. I mean, that's and the so ability exciting. to recruit the best. Right. So O-Rise is there. We have a we have a big display, um, and I I've just met with all of the recruiters over there at ORNL, our O-Rise recruiters. I said, here is an opportunity you'll never get. You know how much thousands of dollars we love to spend to go one of the, one of these conferences to set up next to a big Lockheed jet. Sure. Right. <laughs> Good luck with that. Or next right. to Facebook guys in dirty jeans and dirty sneakers <laughs> walking around saying, look somewhere. how cool it is yeah. to make $200,000 right. just the way you want and slide down um, three stories in, your, in the building <laughs> and eat M&Ms all day. Right. right. That's what you're competing against versus this where they're bringing 22 of their best. We didn't ask. We said bring your students and we know who they're going to select. Right. Right. They're doing what Google's doing on the campus, but we're doing it smarter and we're doing it better. And there's more influence for the faculty than Google has standing in front of those students. Sure, because they tr yeah. the students trust they their trust. faculty member yes. in saying, this is your opportunity. Well, I, I just said to, I said my favorite line my boss told me years ago, like, if someone can say, but not for, mm -hmm. like, that's how you know you're relevant. You know, and most students at HBCU, like me included, would say, but not for me, Dr. Gloria Anderson, I wouldn't be a successful chemist at this level. Right. Because she took the baton from the brilliant dean, you know, you're brilliant, the dean, 
And my high school teacher, she took the baton and further developed me into professional chemist, right? How to ignore, you know, the downside of being a minority chemist in a world, you know, that sort of kind of culture from yeah, where yeah. I came from. And she grew that up in me. So she is my true sort of adult professional mentor. So I say, but not for I wouldn't be sitting here in this interview. Sure. So we need to present that type of value to the students we touch. Because the students are saying with the faculty they're coming with, every, I called them up, they're like, well, I talked to Doc. It's a, the reverence <laughs> in their voice, where they go where they're sent, yeah. right? They're, they're shepherds. So the shepherd yeah. is, you know. Right. And I said, that's, that's that relationship. We can never replicate that. Right. But we can build it with the faculty. Right. And then the faculty will do their thing. And that's your enrage. Yes. That's your, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. It's very exciting. So you have this honor happening <laughs> later this week, right? Yes. Nobuche, the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers, is awarding you their HBCU Pioneer Award this yes. week. Um, how does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always had... Um, I always held this this organization in high regard because on campus they were very visible and they were the the one professional um, organization for black scientists that was geared towards chemists. So there's a lot around engineering for minorities, women, um, because that's where the money is. But for chemists, we had our own. And so, you know, to me, you know, I sent the email to everyone in the ORU leadership because I knew what it meant for for me to be selected among my peers. So these are all chemists right. who are recognizing the work and seeing the work and saying, I mean, that's high value. We want to recognize you as a model for others to say, you know, this is the type of intensity, the passion that you could take your your expertise to and further, you know, solve these real sort of social side of science. Right. There is a social side of the science we do. Sure. You know, the reason why you have retention and you have, you know, difficulty in recruiting is not because the best science isn't there. You have the fastest computer in the world. You would think it recruits itself. It doesn't. Why is it? There's a social aspect to it. Do you want to live in Oak Ridge? Do you want to go to, um, do you want to find, if you, as a young person, you find your, your spouse in Oak Ridge? Mm -hmm. You know, where you, where, you know, how are you going to, you know, what's your lifestyle like? Right. You know, you know, it's the culture of the city there for you, you know, even in Knoxville. So, so it's all this social side of science that help you build as a professional. So I work more on that than the content. Because I figure we recruit smart people. If you want to come and work for a federal laboratory, you're probably looking at the mirror and saying, I'm smart enough. Right. <laughs> you're probably good enough and you think you're qualified enough. You're probably kind of successful on your own. I don't even touch that part. Right. I know that can happen. Yeah, yeah. I work on the other part, with how, what, you, like, what I struggle with, what I identify with. Do you identify yourself as a successful scientist? Do yourself walking in those gates and feeling, you know, like you belong there. Feeling like you belong. Feeling like you can participate in a meeting. Yeah. Feeling like you have something to offer. No matter what, how people are looking at you, you know, having the confidence to say, you may not understand it. That's your problem. <laughs> I can teach you later. I can learn you something later. <laughs> like my grandfather said, I can learn you it later. But, you know, I'm going to go on because I know I know my thought process is right. And even if I'm wrong, help me. Correct me. I mean, yeah. I don't mind being wrong. Right. You were wrong once in your life. <laughs> you know, yeah. so those are the type of things I work with. Like when I get over there and I start talking to young people, I will not mention, how are you doing in your math class? How are you doing? Irrelevant. I would mention how you feel being here. Mm -hmm. 
You know, is it scary? This is a big place. You know, your school is probably just our little quad. Right. <laughs> right. How you, what do you feel like today? You know, you ready for this? You ready yeah. to talk to people? You know, here's some hints, you know, when you're talking to folks, you know. You know, focus on things that you really want to know about. You know, this is your only opportunity. Don't ask silly questions. Right. Oh, tell me about that recently. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The things that you fear the most, right? You know, I mean, whatever it is, put it on the table because that's the only way that puts you in the position where you have, you get the true value of this experience. Right. If everybody's authentic. And that happens with mentors, too. I tell them that, too. They don't listen that much because they believe that's automatic, but it's not. It's not. Everybody talks the same talk and like, oh, let's, let's talk about the resource. So what do you, forget that. Let's talk about you as an individual. So, in, so individualized learning was big in K-12. I think it's big in relationships. Mm-hmm. Like treat every student as their own unique individual. Right. You know, because they have different needs and they have different sort of higher order of needs, right. particularly minorities. Minority students have a different higher order. I always say minority students do not value subject matter expertise like a white male student would. If you, and this has been done through research and lots of surveys, a white male student will say, I want to work with the best, the brightest, I want to be in the best lab, the best school, the best. Minority students still say that. That's further down. I want to work with someone you know, that I can trust, that I like, that, you know, that I can learn from. They want to be in a who position of- me. Yeah, who values, exactly. Because that's marginalized communities are always seen, and whether it's real or, or unconscious or mm-hmm. whatever it is, they're always seen like I have to prove myself. Right. So if I have someone who really believes in me, you'll say, brilliant, Desmond. Right. You got my attention. Absolutely. You see something in me that I see sometimes. It's like, you know, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> right. You know, but that, they value that. And then, you know, down the road, they're like, okay, but now I need to find some place where I can, you know, show all of this. But I need, I need someone to help me through this. That's why mentoring is so big with these groups. Right. You know. So, so that's, I mean, you know, that's, so that's sort of the, 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 the award sort of, in my, in my view, recognizes not, not the sort of the relationships I built with Thurgood Marshall, whatever, but it really recognizes having passion and energy outside of the paycheck, right? And I, I can say that. I can tap myself on the back for that because I think about this stuff if I'm not even being paid. I mean, sure. I, I was helping Craig Lehman, who's my boss, without thinking about things when I was working for another organization mm-hmm. without a paycheck because he knew that this is the thing that drives me. And when you, like everybody says, when your work aligns with your passion, man, you're in a good space, man. <laughs> you go home happy every day. <laughs> you can definitely hear and feel the passion being in this room. Um, last question. Uh-huh. Desmond Stubbs, what brings you joy? Uh, I tell you what, when, um, when even, so without any, I have other better stories, but even in organizing this meeting and talking to students and having them ask me about, you know, Okay, you know, I constantly talk to them. At first, there's silence because they're like afraid. They see my title, and I hate that. So sometimes I always say Desmond, right? I don't, and all the but the titles on our emails has all that stuff. And sometimes they're like, I'm doctors, you know, they're stumbling over themselves. It's like, oh, you, please cut the. <laughs> right. I don't want to say cut the crap, but like, I mean, let's talk. I want that relationship to be direct. I'm not saying you should be irreverent, but I, you know, some people prefer to be called doctor. You know, my mother doesn't call me that. I tell you what she calls, she calls me knucklehead most of the time. <laughs> but, but having the students after about three or four emails feel so close enough to me because of how I presented myself to them to say, 
um, can I ask you, my, my poster might be a little too big or may have this, what do you think? And like, I give them a call and they're like a little afraid to talk, but I'm talking to them as a professional. I said, look, sometimes the size, so there's no size requirement. If you look at the guideline, there's none. So what you want to do is always look at it. So the lesson is beyond sort of the activity. Mm -hmm. It's a broader lesson on how to be a professional in this arena, not to be intimidated. Call the person who's in charge, have a conversation. It's like, look, I'm coming to your meeting. Like this is the growth, right? I'm like right. coming to you. This is the identity part, right? This is what we call agency. I'm coming to your meeting. I'm concerned about my poster size and how it fit because I want to present it in the best way. Um, you know, even where, where, what's the room like? What's the space like? That's, a, that's the professionalism of it. And like, you know, so tell me, will this be the wrong thing? And then having them like, you know, say, this is great. Like feeling, feeling that, 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 that they're so relieved because they're stressed out and they're coming to this big thing called Oak Ridge National Lab and, you know, all of these research priorities, all these big scientific words they haven't encountered yet. But to feel like there's somebody there that they could ask some of those questions that they wouldn't. They're like, they wouldn't ask somebody else who didn't present themselves yeah. that way. They'd be afraid to ask that, but feeling like they can come and ask me those things. Now, I've gotten their cell phone calling me for every little thing because I did. <laughs> there's a downside no, to that. Right. They'll call me <laughs> about every little thing, but I want that relationship. But it's a trust. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's, it's that mentorship. Trust. It's that relationship beyond the core science. It's, it's like all these little things that you're stressing about, I, I can help you remove those, right? right? And, and it's fine for you to stress over those, but I'm going to help you though that it's easy work. We all do that. We all stress over those things. But here's how you usually approach this. Now, beyond this, this meeting, just for the rest of your life. If they're feeling like I'm giving them life lessons and real professional development, I'm not worried about a Google, I'm being arrogant now, I'm not worried about Google, Microsoft, IBM, and millions of dollars. They'll come my way. I know it. I know these people. I know them well. I know their passion. Veterans, minorities, women. They want to feel that trusted soul who understands the value they get out of the research. They want to take that thing to Thanksgiving dinner in a week or two and say, hey, guess what I'm working on? So you know that issue that we have like this high rate of asthma in the city now and then, you know, we have so many kids and we're trying to build clinics. You know, that's some local climate change issues that are happening. And so I'm working on these algorithms where we're crunching numbers and we're seeing like how do we mitigate against. So you're bringing that story home and you're sort of shrink wrapping, I say, the science of the lab and putting it, they say kitchen table, putting it right on the dinner table and, and having your family value that value or the O'Reilly, the O'Rise experience. And now you get you get away from, okay, who do we need to cut in terms of our funding? Well we can't touch O'Rise because without O'Rise, you know, we don't have a Thanksgiving conversation. Right. <laughs> Whatever that O'Rise thing is. Right. That's where I want us to get, but not for. Yep. You know, this experience I've had, I wouldn't be where I'm at. You know. Awesome. So that's the thing that brings me joy is the really small things. When a kid can feel like, thank you so much, Dr. Stubbs. And I just answered the poster size. Right. But it was the thing that was the, that people like me and typical people like me would ignore or point them to some instruction and say, right. follow that. You right, know, you have right. to get used to this. No, they don't. They need a friend. They need a confidant. They need someone that they need a trusted relationship to know that you feel their pain, you empathize with their pain, and you like, you recognize it as like, yeah, I could see how you could be stressed out about it. Right. You know, I can see that because if you understand when they're coming through the gates that there's this other thing cloud hanging over them, so all the little things will be like <laughs> right. there's already there's a bed of stress. Right. So all the little things will be like these little strikes. And if you <laughs> and, can take those you, out of the picture, if you take those out of the picture, you just have to deal with that thing. 
Thank and you. I'm going to go over there right now and evangelize <laughs> to them. I'm going to corner them <laughs> and evangelize to them like this is not a big deal. Everybody who walks through this door don't know everything. Right. Trust me. Right. Zachariah, the lab director, will tell you he doesn't know everything to this day. Like, so don't feel if there's something you don't know. This is where you learn. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that brings me joy. So thank you for this. I get. I always. I love talking about. I love talking about Honestly. my work, and I love talking. And I, and I. And I. What I try to do is diffuse it to you. So hopefully you have a similar yes. type of conversation. Absolutely. So uh, you know. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Desmond. <laughs> I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the O Rise Feature Cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Connect.